Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 318. Folks, um, I just want to let you all know before we get into the show that we are taping this really early. So whatever news may have happened, we are not getting it. So sorry, but we have some really incredible discussions coming up. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we spend a ridiculous amount of time guiltily deleting emails from political organizations asking for money. I am your host, Agit Farsad, and I wonder where I am on a scale of one to donate three bucks constantly. Because today, we're going to talk about the Democratic emails, and if they're a bit much, we'll also ask about whether having rich friends as a kid is good for you. And finally, we dip into the cultural grab bag, where we find a bunch of Spanish neckties. Today, oh my God, the panel today is just excellent. Uh, we are joined um, for the very first time by the co-host of the By the Book podcast, which is such a fun podcast. I'm a subscriber. You should be too. And she's also the co-host of the Audible original Romance Road Test. It is the one and only Jolenta Greenberg. Hey, Jolenta. Hi. So excited to be here. Uh, we are also joined by, oh, you've heard him on this show before. You've loved him on this show before. He's a TV writer. He's all over the place. Um, he has so many credits. He's also host of the podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? We do a lot of crossovers, me and uh, Yo, Is This Racist? Because we like you each other. I'm going to speak for both of us. True. Uh, and you can see you can see a live taping of you as this races on August 20th in Austin. Get yourself to some ticket purchasing. It is the one and only Andrew T. Hey, Andrew. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am already doing a bad job of wrangling uh, dogs on my lap, but I'm going to, oh, y'all yeah, so- won't even know there's a million <laughs> dogs on me right now for the rest of this episode. Andrew <laughs> is in the million dogs and we <laughs> don't really know cute. why or what's happening it is an adorable situation um but honestly i think it sounds great and they're gonna okay, and they're, i think the dogs are gonna contribute really well to some of these questions they're podcast dogs um, they know they're, exactly they're podcast dogs um all right well let us uh before we get into our first topic i just want to remind listeners that they can um get some bonus episodes of the show uh by going to patreon.com slash thanks to everyone who supports the show for as little as one dollar a month you could just support the show for as little as four dollars a month 
which is just like a, I don't know, a little over a cup of iced peach green tea that I had this morning. Uh, you can get bonus content. It's so fun. There are tiers above that uh, with t-shirts and, and mugs and whatnot. Um, so uh, get get in on the action. And thank you so much to all the Fake Nation listeners who do support the show in this way. I am so honored. Let's get into it with topic number one. So we read a piece in the Times called Fed Up with Democratic Emails, You're Not Alone, by Laura Putnam and Micah Sifri. And the title says a lot, but let me read what amounts to be like the thesis of the piece. Basically, they say national Democratic and progressive groups together burn through the surge of liberal organizing under Mr. Trump, treating impassioned newcomers like cash cows, gig workers and stamp machines to be exploited, not a grassroots base to be tended. Now, just before we logged on, um, I'm, I'm here in the, the HeadGum Studios and, and me and Andrew um, were chatting and I d- looked at my phone and sure enough, there was a congressional candidate uh, who had just sent me a text message asking for money and <laughs> I get very, very, very many of these. Now, look, I don't think that surprises anyone. I'm very involved. I uh, and and I'm not money bags over here. I am giving like three dollars. When they say three dollars, that is literally what I adhere to. Um, but I do it, and I have done it uh, in in you know over time. I mean, I don't know what it, to add it up to. Um, I'd say. In the last couple of months, I just haven't really done it at all because I've been frustrated by the frequency. Um, where are you two on this issue? Do you know what I'm talking about? What do you say? <laughs> I was going to say, actually, an easy segue from your intro into this is it's a quarter of a quarterly, uh, your monthly subscription is a quarter of a quarterly donation to the Democrats. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, help me give uh, my, your monies to Democratic Party. But honestly, if you if you look at it in any kind of in the context like that, it's like there is probably a strong argument that as far as like transparency of where the money's going and honestly like effectiveness in messaging, right. your four dollars to fake the nation is at least from where I'm sitting, significantly more useful than uh, $15 <laughs> to any given congressional candidate. That, Thank you I know for that, this that's, bonus that's, Patreon propaganda. Wow. Literally wow. sounds like ass kissing, but that is the truth. I mean, I, that, I genuinely it. believe that. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Jolenta? I get bombarded. I get more of the emails. I'm not on the text as much, but the emails are, they're truly kind of panic inducing, even though yeah. I think they're trying to be like, just hip and direct. Like I went through my emails and one of them is like, South Carolina lawmakers want to make this email illegal. And I'm like, whoa. Right. Fuck. Yeah. 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 Or there's like some CDC and health related ones where it's like, let's not make the same mistakes with monkeypox. And you're like, oh. And it's like, (laughs) I know they're attention grabbing, but they're also like so attention grabbing. They grab my attention and then like throw it into panic and then make me want to put my head in the sand and like not even want to open the whole email. And then make me want to just delete it because I can't right. handle it. I exactly. can't handle the amount. Of, and I'll, you know what? They actually, in this article, gave us a great example. I feel like this is one that I see all the time. Uh, this was from, you know, Nancy Pelosi. She writes, theoretically, I don't know how to say this, so I'll be blunt. All these top Democrats would not be sounding the alarm if our democracy wasn't in immediate danger of falling to Republicans in this election. I need 8,371 patriots to step up before time runs out, rush $15 and help me close the fundraising gap by uh, the end of the month deadline. So it's always something like that, right? Where it's like, it feels apocalyptic. Like it feels like if we don't do this, you know, $15 or $3 or $1, like it's, you know, the end of the world. Um, The the thing is that the digital micro-targeting, you know, there there was a time when it was new and innovative and and effective uh and it's cheap like it's easy for them to do mm-hmm. yeah so well, do you blame them for doing oh. it 
I was going to say that's that's the same logic as like any spam or scam right. email. <laughs> I was going to say sometimes it's hard to tell these apart from like my made well sale emails too, where a lot of them are like, you know, Kansas, we got you. Where it's like T-shirts, we got you, and I'm like, right, oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's the same number of exclamation points. Like it's all of it. So sometimes, yeah, it just is so like buzz markety or like, you know, yeah, getting an email from a candidate being like, girl, I had to be real with them. Like where it's like, I, I feel like I could be getting the same thing from like Everlane. We're like, girl, right. we had to be real with our prices. <laughs> I mean, the other thing that is like troubling, I think, is that I feel like my worry is that it's just gotten so lazy in that, like, mm. the micro messaging doesn't mesh with the macro messaging. I mean, the, the one that frustrated me the most in that it was so evident that no, the people were not on the same page was like, you know, the, obviously in the wake of, of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, tons of messaging. But I remember specifically getting one from the, you know, DCCC, I think, that was like, this, you need to give us money to fight this. Like, and then seconds later, Biden being like, I absolutely have no interest in getting rid of the filibuster. And it was just like, hey, guys, like, get on the same page. Like, if you're right. going to fight and do whatever it takes as right. you're micro-targeting things, then... And if you're not prepared to do whatever it takes or whatever, like, I know that, you know, filibuster and all these things are are potentially radical, but, like... Get on at least get on the same page with like yeah. what you're saying. So if you're just gonna say like we need more money, like just say we need three more senators because like guess what? Even though you said vote blue no matter who, we have two deep purple reds, you know, in the Democratic caucus basically. So like fine, just say that, single them out, do whatever it takes. But like, or not do whatever it takes. But if you're gonna say and your money ask, we're doing whatever it takes, then at least try to show that you're doing whatever it takes. So you can communicate or like be like yeah. somewhat up to date. In your Sorry. Streaming. Thank you for right. letting me soapbox like a lunatic. No, no. I mean, I, I, that it makes, I mean, it is frustrating because I have also noticed those moments when they're being inconsistent with what then Biden says off the cuff on a, on a press, yeah. you know, junket. And so I, it, it, it becomes, it becomes incredibly frustrating. Here's the other thing is like the piece points out that, the effectiveness of these approaches, you know, varies from, and this was depressing, from small to nil to negative. Um, and, and it's funny because, look, I've phone banked, I've text banked, you know what I mean? I've done, I've written postcards, like I've done all of these things. And so I, I, I get the appeal. And I think part of even, part of you, which I don't, I'm not sure if the study um, takes that into, a, into account, but part of even making that happen is to galvanize the people who do show up to do those literal things, right? It's like part of it is about them um, as much as it is about reaching out to, to you know, someone somewhere else and getting them to turn out to vote. Um, but the piece talks about what is actually useful solutions. Yeah. So this is not an, uh, a hopeless subject okay we're talking about the digital micro targeting that is potentially exhausting for people who um encounter it but recruitment but actually talking to human beings knocking on doors that's something apparently that yeah. still works yeah yeah that good old were human you surprised interaction to, yeah <laughs> they talked about pittsburgh so in 2021 they recruited school board candidates um choosing people whose networks didn't just network uh, didn't just echo the networks of ad activists because what also tends to happen is if you're phone making your text messaging it tends to be a white liberal um an affluent white liberal who does it who doesn't actually necessarily match anyone um in the country who they're actually calling right so uh so so that might not be like the best use of personnel um yeah. so they so they started recruiting school board candidates and rather than using these like you know, um, digital micro-targeted emails, that, you know, with distant digital volunteers, the team, they, they basically sent these candidates themselves um, and endorsers, so like other kind of higher level endorsers, uh, to knock on doors 
and they focused on hyper local fundraising and house parties um, capitalizing on existing ties so that tends to be the thing that is the most effective is like the thing that we've been doing since the beginning of time <laughs> like right. in, in, yeah. in American Inviting democracy people over to meet the candidate <laughs> at a luncheon uh, shaking hands, holding babies. I mean, that is literally the thing that is the most effective. Um, and these emails are have a small positive effect, but also in some cases, no effect or a negative effect. It makes people not want to vote. Yeah. Uh, and I honestly, with a, I don't know how I'm, I mean, I kind of do know. I'm like, I don't know how I'm on every congressperson's uh, <laughs> mailing list. Like, but I am. I'm on. I'm on everybody's mailing list just somehow. And, um, and it's it. I it's years of hard work of me looking up, looking at these candidates and being like, I'll give you three dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then it's just like I <laughs> I, I did it to myself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, are you surprised to learn that maybe the best solution is the old fashioned um handshake? And 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 why do you think that's just? Why do you think that works? In, in this now digital age where everyone is on their dumb computers. I personally, I will say, because of, I, I think possibly because I'm talking into a microphone and a phone way too much of my life. Um, anytime I do, almost always, um, I guess except for d- deep parts of unvaccinated pandemic, um, I was almost always, I kind of actually like canvassing on foot. Um, I know mm-hmm. that's probably not super popular. It Why? Does make I think me... that's. I think it's really fun. Yeah, I agree, and I think <laughs> I, I, I highly encourage people to do it. But I think one thing I often hear is that because it's so rare, and you have to, you know, literally be there, literally be walking around, people who you talk to perceive it as like a big contribution, even though to me it's just you know an afternoon walk. And I think to anyone who tries it, it would also be an afternoon walk. Um, so I think it just it's that. What I tend to see is what feels like reciprocity. It's like this person did all the work of walking up to my door, knocking on a stranger's door, which is scary. Um, and they feel like, oh, this, you know, they, they at least perceive that I am very invested in the candidate, whether that is, you know, not that not that it's not true, but there are times when I'll just you know join a campaign that I do not actually know that much about. But um, <laughs> Andrew, he's informed. <laughs> well, truly, I mean, so so the example out here is um, there are were a bunch of um, candidates running for DA um, drawn mostly from public defender pools called the Defenders of Justice, and. I kind of jumped in knowing like these are the right folks, but almost, you know, no details of their, uh, at least the first time I went in Canvas, like I didn't really know the individual candidates. I just knew that there was this block that I supported politically and thought would be a really important thing. So I guess that's what I mean. It's like, but people perceive you, if you're knocking on doors, you got to be an expert. Right, right, right. I also think, you know, it's interesting, like thinking back on Fake the Nation listeners, we've I've, I've talked about various different efforts that people could put in. And one of them was a was an organization that basically puts people at concerts to get them to register to vote. And so, you know, comedy shows at concerts and a bunch of Fake the Nation people listeners did that and sort of reported back that it was like fun or that they got some people to register or whatever. And I think the that physical element of just being there, but also being at something that's fun. I mean, because that's and I've talked about this before this should be fun right Mm -hmm. like unless it's fun people aren't really gonna get into it like they're gonna which is why i love the idea of like having the house parties which is why like strolling around your neighborhood for a day and talking to passers-by um is more memorable because it's just kind of fun. It's unusual. You talk to a stranger, endorphins go up. I mean, there's so, I mean, we've talked about this on the show. There's all this evidence of just talking to a stranger, even if it's just about the weather, releases endorphins. You literally feel better. So I think that's part of why it works, you know, why mm-hmm. it works to talk to a stranger about a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the other thing that a lot of Fake the Nation listeners did in 2020, because we had that situation. Um, <laughs> you guys remember the pandemic? Okay, we had that situation. And so uh, a lot of the poll workers are old who would be exposed potentially to COVID and all that stuff. A lot of Fake the Nation listeners went out and became poll workers. There is something I think also just personally about just being more fulfilled right like and maybe writing the text messages is fulfilling 
I feel a little like n- nothing when I do that, it, even though I, I've, I've, I've told people to go do it. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you think, Jolenta? Close us out. Yeah, I just think the more you can humanize an issue, a candidate, uh, and have an individual actually feel a connection, whether it's indirectly through someone just really passionate about that person canvassing or directly at like, you know, a block party in the neighborhood, like anything that causes that sort of human connection sparks, at least I would say, sparks sort of the impetus to actually go vote or to actually like spread the word yourself. Yeah. Um, But it takes like seeing how much someone else cares and like sort of being touched by it in the flesh almost. Absolutely. All right, folks, let me know what you think. We're in the home stretch here with the uh, 2022 midterms. So I don't know. Does this inspire you to go get on foot, you know, and do what you got to do <laughs> on foot? Sounds weird. But yes, do you, are you inspired to go out there and shake some hands? Um, let me know what you think. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. are back and we're ready for topic number two there's new research out that apparently this feels like obvious but it's feels so much better when there's actual research behind it having rich friends as a kid is a good indicator of being well off as an adult there's this huge analysis they did of of a gajillion people on facebook 72 million users on facebook ages 25 to 44 and they sort of figured out that having rich friends as a kid is the best indicator of you being well off as an adult before we get into the details you were both nodding your head when i said this feels (laughs) obvious why does this feel obvious to you yeah i feel like it sort of confirms what we already know which is like the rich tend to gatekeep like the nation's wealth and they also hook their friends up yeah so like (laughs) even the ones that aren't like as financially privileged as them like uh you know might get 
the hookup to say like a good job or, you know, meeting that family friend who works at the law firm, you know, it makes I feel like it just confirms what we already sort of assume. Oh, yeah. Andrew? I, I also will say the the thing that I I found just in, in my small amount of making rich friends, I, I went to um, I got to go to Columbia uh, and I was not sort of my family was like sort of middle class, Midwest middle class. And I don't think we knew anyone who'd gone to an Ivy League school. And the one and maybe only valuable thing I learned from going to Columbia, which is something that maybe should have been patently obvious, but it is that not only are the rich not better than me they are worse in almost every dimension (laughs) Um, so but learning that like Uh stripped me of a Mm -hmm. lot of fear and like opened up the possibilities in my world immensely because I was truly just like okay I have my options are capped they're limited because these people have different sets of privileges and whatever and I was like oh these people are fucking bozos I could do this stuff (laughs) right I mean that I think for literally any situation in life, getting to be exposed to the thing that you're a little like afraid of or have anxiety about or just like don't know completely demystifies it. So in some ways, you're just like demystified by the idea, oh, like wealthy people aren't special in any way. Like I could be one of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting because like an experience that I've had re- more recently as an adult with friends um, is I've met some moms on the playground who are like in different, you know, like socioeconomic conditions than I am. And I remember like having this conversation once with a playground mom where she's like, I I would guess poor. And, uh, And she was asking me really like detailed questions about schooling in ways and i and i was just like you know that you can get financial aid at some of these private schools if you wish for your daughter to go to one like it's it's not out out of the question cuz she was asking me a lot about private school whatever and and i was like you you know this is something you can try but and if that doesn't work here are some of the the public schools that are like rated better than the other ones or whatever and this was all like she just didn't know and it's like i'm around other like moms who do it I mean if they're not rich they're extraordinarily educated right and so they've done the research they know the thing they know all the rankings right like I'm around a lot of moms like that so we're like sharing intel about schools in ways that that mom did not have access to that intel and so I was just like oh I mean of course she's just not going to have the same her kid wouldn't have the same trajectory unless she really tries to go and get out of this, like these friendship bias, uh, friendships networks. And that basically the, the study talks about friendship bias is like when you um, step out of your class, basically to have friends and people tend not to do it. Right. People tend to stay within their own class to make friends. And just to give you an idea like what some of the effects of having rich friends is, a poor child's adult income is 20% higher on average than would be expected if they have friends outside in their higher income bracket. Um, Friendships across class, which indicate your economic connectedness, are one of the strongest predictors of economic mobility later in life. It shows a link to higher than expected earnings. And part of the problem is, like, let's say if you're in school or high school or whatever, is your high school set up to create these kind of cross-class friendships? Do you feel like that was a possibility at your school? Like, Andrew, you talked about going to Columbia and you're the first to go to an Ivy League. What was your high school like? Um, that is a good question. I went to a, uh, like, a alternative high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, so it was a very, like, hippie situation. Interesting. Um, so that, I'm sure, over-indexed, actually, because of the, the time I went and just because, like, the perception and the, you know, rich white hippies, basically, in Ann Arbor. I'm positive I most of my classmates, again, I, I'm, you know, middle class for sure, so this is not... Uh, exactly this example. But yeah, my my uh, classmates and friends tended to either be like significantly upper middle class or incredibly educated uh, with incredibly educated parents because of the college town. 
Um, so, you know, like rich poets and stuff. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that also helped. But I, I distinctly remember like when I got to college having an actual revelation, like meeting these kids that had gone to like boarding schools that I'd heard about. But I was like, I don't. And I was like, oh, these kids are dumb. You know, yeah. n- n- it's, it's, it was just like, oh, this is their money got them here. And that is awesome for them. And their money will continue to help them. And they, you know, they are all doing better than me financially now. But um, <laughs> I'm not I, I was truly afraid of them when I arrived. And and like shedding that was, I think, very helpful for me. Jolenta, do you, what was your, do you feel like you, there were these kind of cross-class friendships in your younger life? Um, well, my experience was also sort of strange and niche. Uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon and was initially uh, a lower income student at a sort of elite private school. Um, and then like became, you know, a nouveau family uh, mm. around high school. Ah. Um, but I definitely, because of uh, my parents' like lack of education, learned a ton from my like rich peers. Where it's like I remember in eighth grade, my friend being like, "And my dad wants me to go to an Ivy or a second tier," and I'm like, "An Ivy? Like, like what the only Ivy I had heard of was an Ivy pole, which is what we do in Oregon to help like the trees not suffocate <laughs> from Ivy." Um, and she like so I learned about like Ivy leagues and like what they were and which ones like qualified, and it's like I definitely. I benefited from it, but it was because I was one of like a select few who got in and then was able to like stay in due to like, you know, random, not randomly acquired, but like uh, acquired familial wealth, essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, I you know, they, the study talks about a, a high school in Texas that ha- half of its students are poor and the other half are kind of more wealthier. And um, and so they have a, the ideal circumstance for mixing these groups, but the groups were not mixing. And they figured mm-hmm. out it's because there's three cafeterias on campus. So they, the kids sort of self-selected into those um, into those cafeterias and that's where they would socialize. And so what the what they're doing is like redesigning the like cafeteria experience. So it's all one cafeteria. So it sort of forces more of these connections. And I think like that's the other thing that we don't like necessarily think about when we think about high schools um, and schools in general is that they are these microcosms and they, they can be designed so that we encourage this kind of like cross-pollination, right? Um, and the other weird thing I was thinking about my own childhood is like, I was around so many other children of immigrants that we sort of self-selected in this weird way using our just like, and everything about what we talked about was culled together from randomness. Like, cause we didn't, our parents didn't know. And then we were like, just trying to figure it out because we knew that our parents didn't know. And we were all also trying to be high achievers. Um, and so it, you know, I was around a lot of that energy. Um, and, and that, you know, led to its own thing right uh these are people that were not necessarily rich or poor or whatever they were just like immigrant kids yeah um, well i mean i think it's yeah. it's kids will s- segregate and, yeah, and of course you know, they will go to them. but but it, i think it's like it, and these are not like even this study is not talking about like sure things or like whether the value of this is necessarily good, but it's just strictly speaking in one dimension. But it is so nice to like remove barriers between especially children and probably ideally earlier, the earlier, the better before they are more conscious of what class means and like what race means. And yeah, high school honestly even seems a little late. It's just like by that time. It's like we need to catch them before they understand money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Because right now I'll tell you, my toddler does not know that where she is compared to anyone else. Like no idea. So I think, you know, the playground is the playground is the playground. So um, I think think you're absolutely right. Like it has to, we have to catch them really real early uh well listeners let me know what you think is there anything um that you feel like you've done to like actually help your children have these cross-class relationships i'm so curious uh i'm asking for a friend that is me because i have a child (laughs) (laughs) and i would like her to have cross-class relationships all right folks uh moving on to topic number three 
Okay, so we are going to dip into the cultural grab bag and see what we find. The first item is that European leaders are trying to save energy because of the war in Ukraine. So one of the ways that the Spanish prime minister thinks Spain can save energy is by the men not wearing neckties. Um, he did a he did like a press conference, whatever, and this is happening all you know all over Europe. They're they're coming up with different measures to save on energy. What did you think of this effort? I love it. <laughs> I like it. It's like, why not acknowledge like, hey, like we keep building super cold. What if we loosened up on like the social construct that like a heavy or like, why not loosen up on the social construct that like a jacket and tie, like things that make you super hot during the day, like is necessary to do business. Like it's not. Andrew. I will also say I don't want to spoil one of the stories further down the road, but I think necktie is not the only place you you can start. You can, you know, keep going. Business wear is for chumps. And, you know, especially especially these days in this economy, in the like Zoom business, who knows if you're wearing pants world like, you know, neckties. Come on. You can do better than that. I I I think he why didn't he say take off those thick fucking jackets like the coats what are those doing he's i'm hoping he's like easing his way in because like i think that should be next (laughs) i had had a friend at an old job who he always said he wanted to normalize men wearing tank tops to work and i used to kind of tease him for it but now i think like perhaps he was ahead of his time (laughs) i have to say so i i you know at various points work in offices right and um and in the summer like summer's my favorite time. Like always, I'm always chasing summer. I want the summer vibe. I love, love, love summer. And the one thing I hate about it is they keep the offices too cold and women are wearing like little dresses, right? Sweaters. And the men are like wearing these huge outfits. And um, and so they keep wanting to keep the air conditioned, right? That's like the classic male-female divide. Um, <laughs> too when hot, it comes too to air cold, conditioning. yeah. Yes, and it drives me crazy because I'm like, dude, just wear shorts. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Who among yeah. us cares mm-hmm. if you come to work in shorts? If you wear shorts and I wear this dress, then maybe, maybe we can come to an agreement on the fucking air conditioning <laughs> right like, like it, it is just too be much the case that women in the summer like have a you know a pashmina wrap or like a heavier sweater that they just keep at work like yeah, no what if it's we take more crazy. off and, instead I, of just like adjusting to the tundra i remember at my old uh, at one of my old jobs like one of the female like executives who had her own office had a heater in her office for (laughs) the sun. Yes. Oh my God. A little little tiny tornado forms like right (laughs) at the the nexus of her her door. Yes. I will say also the, the, Mm -hmm. the prevalence of like period dramas that we have now have started to show me that, you know, the, in defense of, of the Spanish prime minister only doing neckties, it does seem like, the one disadvantage of being the European ruling class through maybe all of time has been you're always wearing shit that's way too warm. Like Just a lot every, of clothes. Every yeah. time you look at between the petticoats and the frocks and all the other shit, yes. you're like, good Lord, you people must be... First of all, it must smell crazy. And second of all, <laughs> oh, you got to be warm. It's true. If Bridgerton has taught us anything, <laughs> it's that there, there was too much fabric involved oh, uh, in a history of time with men's clothing. Up. Yeah. Um, by the way, in the UK, politicians were told they could ditch their suit jackets, which is what I had hoped the, the Spanish <laughs> PM would have said, while they're in the House of Commons. So there's that. I mean, and those are people that do the wigs. So I feel like yeah. that's a big oh, deal. Man. Oh, man. Um, and in uh, Germany, Hanover announced that they would only be offering cold showers in public pools and sports centers, which <laughs> I feel like I didn't. Were there warm showers at yeah. these public places? <laughs> because we don't know. I feel like whenever I'm at the you know the beach or something like that, we're not getting we're not getting a warm shower. Um, okay, so that is item number one from the cultural grab bag. Moving on, um, let's you know talk about something um, that's so two weeks ago but i do i am curious uh what so will smith made an apology and it's interesting because like it trended right like for a minute but Mm -hmm. i don't 
I don't get the sense that anyone really talked about it. Like, it didn't have the same impact as the original slap. I mean, I guess apologies, apologies rarely do. But what did you think of that apology? I liked interviewing himself. I liked that <laughs> as a device. <laughs> you know? Like what? Yeah, can you tell the listeners what the can you tell the listeners what the format was? Basically, the format is it's like it's like a screen with like some text, and it's like you know it's time to talk about this or something. I can't remember, and it's that it's Will Smith like sitting down, adjusting himself in a chair, and he like is looking over at some screen or something and reading questions like, (laughs) "Why did you do it?" or like. You know, totally. have you apologized yet? Did Jada tell you to do it? Like, and it's like he serves himself like a nice softball version of a question about the slap, and then yep. is able to give his like perfect, uh, perfectly prepared response. <laughs> what did you? What did you think of the apology, Andrew? I mean, I think I, I honestly will say it was beyond in one ear out the other for me. I just was like, yeah. I. What is it? Tell me what it is about this situation that it didn't really resonate. I mean, part of it, I think, was... well. So what I will say is I I did actually kind of like some version of, like, trying to do this without filtering it through the white media, which I think did such a horrible job with it the first time Mm -hmm. or when it happened. It was just like... And, and like, you know, just multiple, that was my most like tongue bitey around my white friends week I've had in a long time. And it was just like, you know, I understand various pieces of outrage and like, sort of like, like, it is true that especially in this type of situation, I don't generally agree with the phrase violence is never the answer, but violence is probably not the answer in this situation, understandably. But also, I, I just managed to, like, I think the the passion with which, again, sort of like I will just loosely say white media approached it when it happened, I, 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 I was not matched in that initially. And I, I you know, I, I think I can comfortably say most of my uh, most of the black folks that are at least in my circle was just like, OK, you know, but whatever. So this was beyond whatever to me. But I don't know. This, it's also not the time. Like, who really cares? <laughs> right. I mean, it's weird. I think it's weird because you fuck up like that on the international stage. What it like? How much time do you take? Like, when do you come out? Yeah. Whatever. I mean, like, I don't. I'm not trying to be sympathetic. I just, I'm just curious. Like, it literally process wise, it's just very curious. Like, how? What is the right way to do this? Because it doesn't like matter. Yeah. But but it was an incredibly, incredible, sensational, huge, huge, huge story. Sure. Yeah. So it both doesn't matter. And yet it was all anyone could talk about. So it's like kind of right. it like requires an apology that yeah. nobody wants right. to hear or yeah. give credit for. You know what like I mean? The cultural a... performance of like I caused a, an outrage and I yes. was a menace at an award show with a you know, physical violence. So like one must apologize. Right. I also like personally, yeah. I um I recently lost all my hair from alopecia due to lupus. That's why I'm rocking this like short hair now. Which looks lovely. So I'm just sort of bummed that like alopecia could have had a quick moment, but instead it became like about, you know, men expressing their disappointment or, you know, Instead, it became about like a man, you know, you know, enacting violence on a public stage. Yeah. And it's like this was a, you know, this could have been a moment to like maybe after the award show, if it really like was bothersome, be like, just a reminder, like not all buzz cuts are done by choice. Like sometimes our bodies force the matter. Right. And like it's kind of stale, low hanging fruit, bro. Like that could have been that. Because then you turn your anger into public service. And right. Yeah. But instead, it became now all about this like apology. And is Chris Rock addressing it in his stand up? And it's like this started just because of like a bad bald woman joke. And it could have been addressed like you know that anger like could have been justified but it was not expressed in a constructive way at all and it took focus away from like what we were even angry about 
Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, well, let us move on to a ridiculous fashion trend for dudes. <laughs> <laughs> it is the exposed male nipple. Uh, there's been some runways recently, and they've had these outfits where there's cutouts at <laughs> the nip or mm-hmm. necklines so low they go below the nip. Um, what are your thoughts? Andrew, I'll go to you first. Um, I, I can sorry. see you're wearing one of your nipple cutouts right now. I, I really, <laughs> I genuinely was so, I was just like nips out in the Spanish parliament, fellas. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> let's, let's air it out completely. I mean, I, I think it's hard for me because I, I'm in a business where I get to wear Whatever. Not not just casual clothes, but sometimes aggressively casual clothes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I know that that's maybe not fair, but I, I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. I I will say the, the other side of it, though, is like, you know, men's, men's nipples out is, I'm sure, going to miss various points about how women's bodies are censored and sexualized. Um, even, even in the article, there's elements where I'm like... Okay, we're, we're. I feel like we're, you know, men as always are missing the point and drawing attention to themselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> on that Jolenta. note, I will also stop talking. Sorry, <laughs> Jolenta. What did you think? I yeah, I feel like at fir- my first thought was like, I guess this is a natural fashion progression. Like women's clothing is full of cutouts, has been for like what two summers. Like Kim Kardashian's skims are like selling essentially like spandex chaps as like shorts. And like, so of course, to me, it was like, I guess menswear is going to follow suit. And like, where can they push it where we can't? Uh, The nip. Like, (laughs) cut it out. That's going to be the male signature cut out. Either that or like maybe this is paving the way towards like truly freeing the nipple for like women and women's fashion. Right. That's a possibility. I also, you know, I I will say something. And I don't know if you feel this way, Andrew. I've long felt that men's fashion, like I can picture my husband sweats like a, t- a shit ton all right in the summer he sweats so much and i just always thought god he could re- he would really love a summer dress yeah. you know what i mean he would love a totally. summer dress a little flimsy number that sort of sways with the breeze because it would cool him down and he's got he, you know he's got all this like fabric on his balls and stuff like that whatever and i'm just like man i wish guys could just wear like whatever um, I mean, and so that was my feeling is like <laughs> is 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 the masculinity side of it yeah. when besides freeing the nem- nipple when can we free male masculinity to accept other versions of clothes yeah I mean, besides the kilt, that is sort of the biggest legacy of, like, Western fashion. Just, like, other other non-Western cultures aren't as tied to men have to dress like this. I will say, as someone who uh, sort of pathetically only this year has really started wearing shorts uh, in public. What? Yeah, I'm that like... It doesn't make any sense. You live in California. I know. Yeah. Two, two years ago, I went to a Dodger game on one of the hottest days of the year wearing black jeans. Wow. Truly oh, wow. almost passed out. Legitimately almost passed out and still took another year of like, no one's seeing my knees. Come on. What? <laughs> this is so funny. I bet you have extraordinarily normal knees. Yeah. I know. No, truly. But now now I've I've been... Uh, I don't know if it's peer pressured or what, but yeah, I'm, I'm, if you see me in Los Angeles, I'll be wearing shorts by all the time. It's fucking hot. <laughs> all right, folks, let me know. Should Andrew keep wearing shorts? Yeah. I, the uh, other thing I will say is yeah, that the please. specific men's nipple only cutout is such a weird garment in that, like, that just like opening in the fabric seems like, I guess like all couture, it's you wear it one time to make some sort of point. But what a weird garment. A nipple point. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I also thought the one thing about the, 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 the photos, so look look these photos up, but there are these cutouts that are like in a circle shape or in a heart shape or something <laughs> right around the nip. And the cutouts aren't necessarily even large. So my thought yeah. was like, 
this has to be like pinpoint accuracy, the placement yeah. of this cutout, Ooh. because what if it misses your nip? Yeah. Then it's yeah, just like showing the like yeah. a, exactly. Then it's just showing some random hairy chest. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that was my other thing was just like this sounds this seems stressful just on a like logistical. Where is it hitting Ex- me? Front? Exact tailoring and hand wash only means it's some shit that's never going <laughs> to yeah, 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 yeah. It means like, your nipples never gonna yeah. line up on the Chuck, second yeah. way. Chucking that shit into the washing <laughs> machine would utterly destroy it. So it's not gonna All happen. All right. That is the end of the show. Oh my god. Thanks so much for joining me. The two of you are so lovely. I would really love for the listeners of Fake the Nation to be able to find you and all of the wonderful things that you do. Andrew, where do they do that? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm just at Andrew T. Last name is spelled T-I on social media. And uh, if you are in Austin or Brooklyn, uh, I'm going to be doing some uh, live shows with my podcast, Yosis Racist, co-hosted by Tawny Newsom, who's very funny. If you're a Star Trek person, you might you might enjoy her on Lower Decks. Um, and yeah, you can find out where to get tickets, suboptimalpods.com. Absolutely go. I've done their show. It's so fun. These these two are incredible together and they touch on all of the topics that you want to hear about. So definitely go to those live tapings. Uh, Jolenta, where do they find you? Uh, you can find me personally at Jolenta G on Twitter. Um, by the book is at by the book pod on Twitter or Instagram. Our new season actually premieres uh, on August 11th. So go listen. And uh, Romance Road Test is at audible.com slash Romance Road Test. We try out weird dating advice. It's a very fun show you can binge yeah i i love that i i have i've li- i've listened to by the book and i've loved it um and i'm excited to try out romance road test it sounds so great uh you know where to find me and all the things that i do and what i really want to do is thank everyone that makes this show a possibility that's our fantastic producer andrew mcguire wonderful audio engineer stephanie aguilar um special thanks uh, to emma foley here at headgum for uh for getting us in the studio um and everyone at headgum that makes this show a possibility our theme music was written by the amazing Gabby Alter, and you can reach us at fakethenation at headgum.com. Again, that's fakethenation at headgum.com. Um, reach out to us with any ideas you might have for segments or panelists or anything at all. And uh, ooh, join us at patreon.com slash Farsad for bonus episodes of the show and to support the show. And otherwise, we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.